All right, well, we're continuing our study tonight in what to expect, anticipating prophetic promises. And uh, we've looked at several things here. If you have your notes, we'll just kind of see where we're going. You can see we're getting just about halfway through. On page three, you kind of see the list of where we're going. And uh, basically, we're not trying to get into all the nuts and the bolts and and, uh, and all the details, but we're trying to give you a, an, an understanding of what God has promised that is definitely going to happen. And we don't know all the details, but we do know that these things are going to happen. The rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the reign of Antichrist, and we've talked about all of those things. And then the other thing that we're going to talk about now is the great tribulation. That's our topic for tonight. I just read that verse there underneath that heading on page 3, Matthew 24, 21, for, th- for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. That's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ describing what is coming at that great tribulation time. You know, in this world we have tribulation. Jesus said we would have that. We all have difficulties, don't we? We've just prayed for one man who's having some difficulties right now, and Rosemary is having her difficulties, and there are other issues around, but it's nothing like what's coming at this great tribulation period. We've all had hard times where we think, I just can't handle it. Well, the great tribulation period is going to be worse than anything that's ever happened. And we want to do everything we can, not so much to understand all the details, but to believe in our hearts and be convinced in our hearts that it is coming Because there's a world out there that needs to know this is coming, and they also need to know there's an escape. And that escape is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at these things tonight about the Great Tribulation, don't be as enamored as a lot of people get with all of the details of what happens with this trumpet, and what happens with this bowl, and what happens with this. Now, we'll talk about those things. But just know that these things are going to happen. When we started this study, remember we talked about how, how prophecy really is, it is history foretold. If God said it's going to happen, it will happen. And the Bible is full of fulfilled prophecies that have already taken place. But these are some things that are going to take place. And it is as sure that of the things that have happened already, it's as sure uh, that they will happen in the future as God has promised. So we can trust his word, we can believe his word, and we need to get ready. Let's go to page four there in the notes if you're following along. And uh, those of you who are watching online, I try to get you those notes. And uh, they don't always come out the same way. So you'll just kind of guess where we are and keep going the best you can. All right, so Jesus told us how we're to respond now to these future things. We've talked about this before in the past. And basically, Luke chapter 21, verse 28 says, But when these things begin to take place... Straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Again, our tendency when we see awful things happening is like, oh no, oh no, wringing our hands and oh no, and is it going to get me and oh no, and oh no. Instead, we need to be saying, oh Lord, please come, I can't wait to see you. That's what we need to be doing. So get, get, and get into the mode of anticipating the Lord when you see awful times coming. Say so we're looking and anticipating the second coming of Christ. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 there in your notes says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Now, I don't know if you love the Lord's second coming. You know, I don't know if you're anticipating the rapture. I, I've enjoyed running into a few people at church who come to me and said, Jesus is coming, and Jesus is coming, and they're getting excited about it. And I, I'm hoping this study will help you to be that way. Because that's what God has pro- told us. There's a reward for that attitude. So the next thing that we're looking for is that pre-tribulation rapture. We've talked about that a number of times. You can read about it there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then when we get to heaven, Christians are going to be in heaven. We're going to go to the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And there all of our works are going to be tested. You can go to the top of page 5 and you can kind of get a, get a, a chart that kind of describes it. Uh, all of our works are going to be tried by fire. It's heavenly fire. I don't know exactly how it works. It's just kind of an image of how Christ is going to look at everything that we have done. And the things that we did that were just kind of a waste of time, they're going to go away. But there's going to be something that you did in your life that the Lord's going to say is gold, silver, precious stones, and it's going to be something that's worth keeping. And there will be rewards. Uh, Jesus said that he's coming and his reward is with him. We talked about that several times. Another positive thing. So the positive things that Christians have to look forward to is the rapture. The positive things. Don't be afraid of the beam of seat. Don't be afraid of the judgment seat of Christ. That's the time when you get your rewards for all that you've done. That's, when you, that's what happens when you get to the end of the race and you get your ribbons and, and all of the things that you get for that. So don't be afraid of that, that thing. And then there's that marriage supper of the Lamb on page 5 that talks about that. We, we mentioned that. We had a whole lesson on that. It talks about where we are united with Christ and these things that we have anticipated all of our lives, uh, we will be with him. And, and we as the church will be his bride. And there will be a wonderful reunion, and we can look forward to that. And again, when that happens, how it all happens, all the details of it, this is just an image. And you think about how happy that bride and that groom are on their wedding day. That's the way we're going to be that day at that uh, that, that, that marriage of the Lamb. And then, last week, we looked at the reign of the Antichrist. And let's just review these things quickly. Antichrist is coming. Uh, we, We see events in the world today, and we think, maybe he's here We don't know. We don't know. Uh, Scripture talks about him a little bit. Who is the Antichrist? Bottom of page 5. Who is the Antichrist? We do not know. The Bible does not tell us exactly who he is, but it does describe him. It describes him as a beast in Revelation chapter 13. That doesn't mean he's big and ugly and got warts. It just means that his, his... his whole policy is beastly and powerful, and he, and he rules with great authority and, uh, and a rod that just, just could, puts everybody under his grasp. Okay, He's called the man of lawlessness, or the lawless one. King James calls him the man of sin, the wicked one, in First Thessalon- or Second Thessalonians chapter 2. First John is the only place where you're going to see the word antichrist. It's, it's a, it, he is the replacement of Christ in this world. Uh, except he's not righteous. He's everything just the opposite of Christ at the same time. And uh, everybody's going to look at him as though he is God. And they're going to worship him. And there's going to be all of this and all of this wonderful attention given to him. And this submission to him. And, uh, and yet he is not going to be the real answer that the world thinks they need. Page 6. When will the Antichrist appear? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8. Says, you know... What restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's the Holy Spirit. Then that lawless one will be revealed. 
when Christians are raptured out of this earth, the lawless one will then be revealed. As long as you and I are here on this earth, the Antichrist is not in charge. But once we're gone, the influence of the Holy Spirit is gone, the influence of our lives and our testimony is gone, wickedness can rule without anything holding it back. And that's when the Antichrist steps in. And he comes in and he looks like he's going to be a friend. Now remember, Israel is basically the focal point of, of all of this prophecy. The nation of Israel has, has, is, is God's chosen people. They're the apple of God's eye. They're the centerpiece of, of all of history. And, uh, and God loves the, is, the Hebrew people. Why? Because that's the line through which the Messiah came, the Savior of the world. And the world hates them. You know that because of what they did during Hitler's day. You know what they did before those days. You know what they're trying to do even today. We were talking with the missionaries down in Uruguay today, and they were talking about some Jewish people down in Uruguay who have been attacked by Muslims down there and killed uh, because, just simply because they're Jewish people. The, the Israeli people are surrounded by their enemies, and yet God has somehow preserved them. If you ever see a map of Israel and you see all the nations around them, you wonder, how in the world are those... Does that little country make it? It's like Rhode Island in the middle of California. And, uh, and all the Californians don't like the Rhode Islanders. It's almost like that. And uh, it looks like they're going to get swallowed up. But because God is on their side, Israel's going to be all right. Right? Now, let's look at these things. Antichrist will be revealed after the church. And the indwelling Holy Spirit is removed at the rapture. And we don't have to deal with him. Thank the Lord we don't have to deal with him. So don't you worry about him. He's coming, but he's not your problem. He is the problem of your friends who don't know the Lord. He is the problem of your neighbors who don't know the Lord. So don't ignore it. Get motivated to get other people to get out of here before he comes, okay? What will Antichrist do, number three? He will deceive the world into following his leadership. I put scripture passages. We went through these last week. Uh, the Bible talks about a strong delusion that people will believe a lie. I've heard some preachers talk about in this world, it seems like there's already a strong delusion about people believing lies all over the place. And, uh, and, and it's really hard because a lot of people have swallowed whatever's being told them in the news and everywhere else. But it's going to be even worse during this time. I think it's like when Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God said, okay, you hardened your heart, I'll harden your heart. And there was no remedy. Right? That's the way it's going to be. People have said, I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want God. He says, okay, you can't have God. And this strong delusion comes, and the Antichrist says, I'll be your God. And they say, okay. And then they find themselves in a world of hurt. He'll be worshipped by the world that rejected the true Christ. He will declare war on anyone who rejects his leadership. There will be some people who come to Christ during the tribulation period, come to Christ while Antichrist is in charge, and he will persecute them. He will rule the world. Every nation will submit to his leadership. And I don't know if they're going to have all one language, but they'll have all one currency. They'll have a lot of things in common, and he'll be in charge of it all. Number four, who will help Antichrist do his wicked deeds? Well, the Bible talks about a revived Roman Empire. Daniel saw some beasts in the Old Testament in, in Daniel chapter 7. And, uh, and if you'll study out in Revelation chapter 13, you can kind of see those same beasts coming back. And these, nation, these beasts represent nations, and these nations will join together to support the Antichrist. 
and, and, uh, and submit to him and give their authority to his leadership. And then Satan, the dragon himself, will uh, empower Antichrist. He will move right into him. He will be possessed of the devil himself. Not a demon-possessed man, but a Satan-possessed man. And his power and authority will come with that. And there will be all kinds of, of, um, of uh, miraculous powers that goes with that. Because Satan is a master deceiver and he can do some miracles. And, uh, and he will allow the Antichrist to do that. And then there will be another beast, the false prophet. The uh, Antichrist is described as a beast who comes out of the sea. And then there's later on a beast that comes out of the land. The beast that comes out of the land is the false prophet who, again, turns people towards worshiping the Antichrist. The false prophet leads the world to worship the Antichrist. The false prophet deceives the world with signs and wonders and miracles and all sorts of things. Just remember, when you see a miracle, it doesn't mean it's from God. Check everything by the word of God to find out if it's from God, right? And so the, uh, he will do these things and he will, he will pull people in, suck people into this new world religion that worships the Antichrist. Uh, he will cause the world to worship an idolatrous image. Don't know what this is going to be like. I don't know what it's going to be like at all, but it'll be a, a, some kind of an image that... That they will look at and he's going to have some sort of power. I don't know if it's animatronics. I don't know if it's robotics. I don't know if it's just really a miracle. And this stone thing starts moving and looking like it's alive. And, uh, and he uses that as an image of the Antichrist. And the people have to worship it. If they don't worship it, they have the penalty of death on their heads. He will also um, set up a cashless society, which we are heading towards very quickly. You know that. Uh, but this will be a cashless society, and you won't be able to buy anything unless you take the mark of the beast. However, that, whatever that's going to be like, a computer chip, a tattoo, I don't know. Who knows what it will be. Maybe something we haven't ever heard of yet. And, uh, and there will be some kind of a mark. Uh, it's on your hand or on your forehead, and if you don't have it, you won't be able to buy or sell. You have to use the Antichrist currency. Because your George Washingtons and your Ben Franklins will be worthless. And remember back in, I think it was World War II for a while there, they had to take like a, like a wheelbarrow full of money to go buy a loaf of bread some places around the world because the economy was so bad. It'll be kind of like that. And there will be people who will starve to death during this time because they don't have that mark. So who will stop Antichrist? We'll get to that a little bit today and a little bit down the road. But the, when we talked about the Antichrist, it talks about him in Revelation 16, bottom, number 5, down the bottom of page 6. The Antichrist gathers a demonic army and goes to the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon in the, uh, in the uh, uh, New American Standard, uh, Megiddo is another name for the valley. And they will go to that place, and there there will be a battle between the armies of evil and the Lord Jesus Christ and his army comes in. And with the word of his mouth, he destroys them. Jesus Christ wins. And so then the Antichrist is then in Revelation 19, the end of that chapter, he's cast into the lake of fire bodily, right there, full human body, no transformation at all, straight into the lake of fire after he's defeated. And so what is the Christian Christian response? Again, we talked about this at the close of last week's lesson. I'm just hitting it again. Recognize the Antichrist is coming. 
You can't ignore this. This is going to happen. You need to have an urgency about this. We need to have some gospel unction knowing that this is coming. And we've got people all around us. We've got a city full of people all around us here in San Francisco. We've got a world all around us that needs to hear this gospel. That Jesus Christ is the answer to the Antichrist. Jesus Christ is the answer to escape all of the judgment of God that's coming at the tribulation period. And hell itself. We need to be busy about this. Recognize that Antichrist is already defeated in the mind of God and in the word of God. And let's get busy sharing the gospel. So that's, that's the Antichrist. We've talked about that. And that's a quick review of what we did last week. And so now let's get into this great tribulation period that we read about in Matthew chapter 24, I think it is. Now, this is, this is seen all throughout the Bible. You can read about it in, in, I think, Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Ezekiel and a lot of different places. I read a bunch of stuff, stacks of books about this and going through this and trying to get, and I said, we don't need all these details. But the fact that it's all throughout the scripture, it's talking about the day of Jacob's trouble, it talks about the, 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 the great tribulation, the tribulation, uh, all kinds of ways it describes this end, of these, this end of the world. Part of it that's very interesting to me, and I took a class years ago in, called uh, Daniel and Revelation, and in there they talked about the 70 years of Daniel that's found in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 to 27. Let's look there on top of page 7 in your notes or you can follow along in your Bible if you like. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 to 27. I put the scripture right there in the notes. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Daniel was a Jew. His people were the Jews, the Israelites. His holy city is what? It's not San Francisco. What's his holy city? Jerusalem, okay? Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks. Okay, seven weeks. Now the weeks we're talking about are not seven 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 day weeks. We're talking about seven year weeks. So seven times seven years is how many years? 49 years, okay? And then 62 weeks is going to follow that. It will build again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, 62 times 7 is 434. I did the math ahead of time so you don't have to. Um, uh, until uh, From the issue of decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat. Let me go back to verse 26. I'm, I'm reading back here. I got behind my, went back and repeated. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That's talking about the cross. Okay. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's another king that's coming after Christ was, went, ascended into heaven. You look down at the chart, it talks about Jerusalem being destroyed in A.D. 70. And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and a grain offering. 
And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So, sometimes you look at it and you go, what in the world is all this talking about? Let's look at the chart really quickly. Down in the bottom left-hand side of the chart, you see seven weeks, 62 weeks, one week, that's 70 weeks. That's where we get the 70 weeks. Okay? Just to the right of that, seven times seven years is 49. Seven times 62 is 434. Seven times one is seven years. That's 490 years of Israel's history. That's what we're talking about. There was a time in history when Cyrus decreed to rebuild Jerusalem. Just above those numbers, you see that. And so that's the restoration years. That's seven weeks. That's that 49 years. That's talked about in Daniel 9.25. Then Jerusalem is rebuilt. And then there are 434 silent years that follow, Daniel 9.26, until Jesus Christ goes to the cross. There are people who have written books on this. There are studies on this. And it's been very well documented that these dates are very accurate. Okay? So that's history. That's in the past. That's already happened. And then there's something in there that Daniel didn't even know about. God didn't give him a glimpse of that. And that is the age that you and I are living in today. It's called the church age. It's the time between the time that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and the time when he's going to come back down and rapture us up to join him. We don't know how long that period of time is. We have no idea. We don't have any weeks or numbers or anything. We don't know. But we know it's going to happen, right? And then we're going to get into the last of those years, and that, or last of those weeks. After the rapture, there's the tribulation, seven years, that 70th week of Daniel. Look down right below the rapture of the church, you see two boxes there. Antichrist, will, uh, he will sign a covenant with Israel to start the, uh, to, uh, at the start of the tribulation period. He will say, I'm your friend, and he will work towards building the temple again. Again, I don't know how this is going to work. There's a big dome of the rock up there right now. It's illegal to even talk about anything about Judaism up there on that mountain. But that's the location of the temple. How that's going to get built, I don't know if the dome of the rock is going to disappear or something's going to be built next to it or they're going to say, hey, we got the wrong spot altogether. I don't know how they're going to do this. But somehow they're going to rebuild the temple. And then he's going to make it look like I'm a friend of the Jews. And for three and a half years, it's just the beginning of the tribulation period. And then halfway through, he's going to say, that's enough of that, and I'm moving in. And he moves right into the temple, and he sets himself up as God. And the temple becomes the headquarters for Antichrist. And that's when God says, that's enough. And that's when the worst three and a half years of the seven years starts to fall. Okay? Until Jesus Christ wins at the end when he comes back to earth defeats him at the Battle of Armageddon, judges the nations, and moves in. Now let's look at this a little bit more. Okay, go page 8. We've kind of broken down the 70 weeks already. I, I just kind of did that off the cuff. You can study that out on your own. But you can see down there at the bottom of page 8, there's a chart there. It come, comes from Tim LaHaye. It's a pretty good chart. Uh, it's a lot of detail. I, I even cut out some of the detail because it's almost too much to comprehend at one time, especially right now. And Rick's having a hard time reading the letters anyway, I can tell by looking at it. But um, you, you go to looking at it and try to study it out. And you can see generally there are seven seals, there are seven trumpets, there are seven key figures, there are seven bowls, there are seven dooms, and then there's the return of Christ. Okay? That's the basic breakdown of what's happening during the tribulation period, okay? 
you got the first three and a half weeks, or, or the first half of the seven-year period, th three and a half years, and the second three and a half years. You can read that tonight sometime right before you go to bed. But let's go on to something else. Okay, we go to page nine. Top of the page there. It says, it tells us up front, the main reason that a lot of this is difficult to find out is because we get little pieces here and little pieces there, and it's not written out like a story. I like to read the story of Abraham because you kind of see a, a progression all the way through. I like to read the Gospels, the progression of the life of Christ. I like to read about Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. He goes from place to place. Well, it's, it's not quite as simple to look at prophecy this way, okay? You get a little bit in Ezekiel, a little bit in Jeremiah, a little bit in Daniel, a little bit in Revelation. You get a little bit in Thessalonians. You get a little bit in Peter, Peter's writings. And you got to kind of piece it together. But uh, just to summarize it, we're going to kind of break it down into uh, groups of seven, like we just mentioned. Seven characters that are going to be involved in the tribulation. Okay? There is in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're not going to read all these passages, but there's a woman that John, who wrote the book of Revelation under inspiration, saw... And, and he saw this woman who was clothed with the sun. I don't know what that means. Just a bright light covering up anything that needed to be covered up. And she's got a son with him. And, uh, and oh, she's about ready to give birth. And then along comes the second character. That's the dragon. We've already seen him represented as the one who empowers Antichrist, right? The dragon steps in in Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. With one mission, and that is to destroy the son of that woman. The woman represents Israel. The son represents Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy him. And then you have the son of the woman. That's representing Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And he tries to destroy him. And along comes Michael the archangel, who defeats the dragon. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Michael brings an army, Satan brings an army, Michael's army overpowers him because he's empowered by God, right? Then we have, we see a vision in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation 14, pictures of a remnant of people who believe in God in the middle of this tribulation period. There's 144,000 Jews. You can read through there of all, there's, I think there is... Uh, 12,000 from each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That, add, do the math, and it takes you up to 144,000. And these Jewish people believe in Jesus Christ. They've trusted in Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're sent by the Lord to go into the world to preach the gospel during the, revelation, during the time of the tribulation period. And some people are going to believe him, and some people are going to reject them. But God's going to empower them to get the gospel out. Now, why would he do this in the middle of the tribulation period? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even while the devil is rearing up his evil head, and even while the Antichrist is having his heyday, and even while it looks like the whole world is headed in the wrong direction, God's going to have one more chance, one more light, one more gospel opportunity for, for people to come to Christ. Now, I wouldn't say wait for that day, because remember... Thessalonians talks about God sending a strong delusion. And I believe that if you have lived in this day before the rapture and you've had a chance to hear the gospel, I don't think you're going to believe any of this about the, the, the preaching of the 
144,000. So don't wait and say, well, I'll just wait and see what happens at the Antichrist. I'll just wait and see what happens at the tribulation. Then I'll accept Christ. I believe you will be believing that strong delusion. You'll believe the lie and you'll be worshiping the Antichrist. Because you've already hardened your heart and said, no, I won't accept Christ now. You'll say, okay, I'll harden your heart. And you won't be able to believe. Now, there are some people, Gentile believers, who will be martyred during during the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 7, look at the bottom of page 9 there. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and tongues. Sounds like Hamilton Square Baptist Church. Uh, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Antichrist may think he's on the throne, but he's only on a temporary one. Jesus sits on the eternal one, right? And these are people from every nation and tribe who comes to Christ. All right, another prominent carrier. We talked about the woman. We talked about the dragon, the son of the woman, Michael the archangel, the remnant, that's five. And then number six, the Antichrist, the beast from the sea. We've already talked about him. And then there's number seven on the top of page ten. And that's the false prophet. So those are the seven major characters or groups of characters that you're going to find during the Revelation period. And we've got to move quickly here. Then there are seven seals that that describe the judgments that come on the earth during this tribulation time. Seals. I'm not talking about what you see down at Pier 39. Okay? We're talking about there's a scroll that has God's plan laid out. And in the old days, they used to put wax seals on top of these these letters, these these scrolled up letters to say they're they're official and they're not to be opened until somebody is officially able to open them. Well, the Lamb of God comes and opens those seals. Okay? Jesus Christ is the one who is worthy and he can open the seals that tell what's happening. Seal number one is opened and out pops. I don't know how this works. Don't let your Disney mind go too crazy with all of this. Okay? But But John sees a white horse and a rider on it and he goes forward forward to conquer revelation chapter six a knight in shining armor who appears to come in and save the world i think that's antichrist and then seal number two a rider on a red horse revelation chapter six verses three and four peace is removed from the world and men start fighting against one another seal number three a rider on a black horse war is bad but this is worse famine overtakes the world Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The world's economy is turned upside down. Nobody, is, they're not able to have enough crops to keep things going. Seal number 4, two riders on a pale horse. Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And that's uh, where death and hell are riding on that horse together. Death is riding and Hades or hell is right behind him. And uh, they're riding and a fourth of the world's population dies. One-fourth of the entire world's population. How many people are in this world today? Seven, eight billion? Fourth, two billion people die. Horrible. Seal number five, there are martyrs for Christ calling for justice. Those who have been killed for their faith. Maybe it's those people, the 144,000. Maybe it's the other from the Gentile nations. And they're crying out, Lord, how long? When are you going to, when are you going to bring justice to us for the way we have been treated? 
Seal number six, a terrifying earthquake. Revelation chapter six, verses 12 to 17. You think Loma Prieta was bad. You think the 1906 in San Francisco was bad. This one's going to be worst. Uh, it's a big one. It's terrifying. Men are going to be crawling into caves and asking God to save them and spare their lives. They're scared to death, frightened, terrified. Seal number seven comes, and then there's silence in heaven for a time. And seven trumpets are revealed, which means it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. The prayers of God's people are rising to heaven, and God's saying, I've been patient with this world. I've shown grace to this world. My grace is running out. My patience is running out. It's time to get busy with the judgment. And then the seven trumpets start blowing. Trumpet number one, hail, fire, and blood fall on earth. Revelation chapter 8 verse 7. A third of the earth is destroyed by fire. Makes the fires in California look like nothing. Trumpet number two, a mountain-sized meteor hurtles to the earth and it lands in the sea. And a third of the sea turns to blood, killing sea life and sinking ships. A third of the ships of the world, a third of all sea life dies. Imagine the stench. Imagine what that's going to be like. Trumpet number three, an exploding poisonous star named Wormwood. It's named, it's got a name, comes down and it must split apart. And it goes into all the rivers and seas and streams and into the water sources. And all of the earth's fresh water is contaminated. A third of earth's fresh water is contaminated. And people will die from the poison and the contamination. More people die. Trumpet number four. Heavenly bodies are darkened. A third of earth's light is darkened, making the days on earth as dark as night. The Bible talks about people gnashing their teeth in pain. Trumpet number five, a demonic creatures from hell are unleashed. And you can look at them and try to figure out what they are. They're ugly little creatures that come out of a, of a smoke coming out of the, the, out of the bottomless pit. And they're set loose to torment, but they can't kill people. I think they're tormented for five months and they're prey to die, but they can't die. Those of you who've had bad cases of COVID, you sometimes, you know what I'm talking about. You want to die. This is, I feel so bad. Just let me die. Well, that's, that's the way it is. Some tr- creature, you can look up the descriptions in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Then there's a satanic army of 200 million soldiers in Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. And they're going to be coming into the earth, and they're going to kill a third of those who are left on the earth. And then the Bible says, amazingly, people still refuse to repent. God says, I'm hitting you, repent, I'm hitting you, repent, I'm telling you, stop. No way, they harden their hearts towards God. Trumpet number seven, page 11. Heaven rumbles. Christ takes his throne. Lightnings and, and there's all sorts of things that happen in heaven. And Christ is lining up to lay out the last bit of wrath on mankind for rejecting him you know we want to think about Jesus as being kind and sweet and the lamb of God but we got to remember he is also the judge all judgment has been given to the son 
And think about all of these things that have happened. Why are they coming? Why does this wrath come? Why all this trouble? Why all this pain? Because God hates sin. And he will not tolerate sin. And sin has to be dealt with. And those who reject him have to face the judgment. The answer is grace while it's available. Right? Then number four, seven final bowls of the great tribulation. These are the worst. These are the worst. Bowl number one, horrible boil-like sores. Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who took the mark of the beast and worshipped Antichrist's idol will suffer. They think they're doing all right by following the Antichrist. It's going to backfire on them big time. Bowl number two, the sea turns to blood. Not just a third of it, all of it. All of it. How much of the earth is covered with water? Two or three-fourths? Two-thirds or three-fourths of the earth is blood everywhere. Everything in the earth's ocean dies. Bowl number three, the fresh water turns to blood. Earth's water sources are contaminated. And God's justice is starting to be praised. I can hear the hallelujah chorus warming up. Okay, Lord, you're making it right. Okay, Lord, you're giving Satan his due. You're giving those who rejected you their due. Bowl number four. Inescapable heat overtakes the earth. The sun starts shooting flames and scorching the earth. And the wicked continue to blaspheme God. Bowl number five. Antichrist's throne experiences heaven's attack. Darkness and tongue-gnawing pain strikes. Hearts are hardened even more. Bowl number five. It go, the heaven's attack goes straight to where Antichrist is, it says in, that, in Revelation 16, verses 8 and 9. Bowl number six, the blood-filled Euphrates River evaporates. And what is that? That great river is a great dividing line from the kings of the east that want to come to Israel and attack it. And God says, okay, that river's gone. And the armies come flying in. Antichrist leads a mighty demonic army westward across the dried river to meet God's heavenly army at the valley of Armageddon. Bowl number seven, God's declaration. It is done. I remember Jesus' cry on the cross. It is finished. Similar to that. Time will be coming to an end very shortly. The most powerful lightning and thunderstorm coupled with the most powerful earthquake and a hundred pound hailstones start pummeling the earth and all of us false religion, the economy. It talks about Babylon has fallen and it goes into those seven things in that chart that we're not going to get into but it talks about all this destruction that takes place and everything the Antichrist has built up, his entire system that rules the world, is going to be absolutely leveled and devastated. The second coming is just around the corner. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he's going to win. So, what should be our response? There's a great temptation. You can see there in the notes. To try to get fascinated by all these details. If you can spend all your time dealing with all these details. That's not going to help anybody come to Christ. Just get the big picture. Right? You try to be smarter than everybody else. I know more about this than anybody else. Is. That's what gets a lot of people in trouble. That's where a lot of these false predictions about when this is going to happen. And all this stuff starts happening. People start thinking they're smarter than anybody else. God doesn't tell us everything we want to know. He tells us everything he wants us to know. Right? The pastor said that. I believe that. 
Don't take a wait and see approach to see what these prophets, what's going to happen before I accept Jesus Christ. No, do it now. Now's the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ, this is the day. This is the time. The age of grace is here. This is the time when Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll save you. Don't be fearful about the horrible things that are coming. You as a believer are not going to go through it. We're going to be watching. We'll see it. We'll be rejoicing in heaven that justice has finally come. And Jesus Christ has been shown to be the ruler. And don't question the goodness of a God who brings such horrors to mankind. Mankind deserves it. You and I deserve it, frankly. You and I deserve it. Because we're sinners, right? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know him as your Savior, it's time. You want to read a little bit more about it? Look on page 12. Jesus describes it. Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians. Bottom, bottom line is, read through all of those things. When you get to the bottom of page 12, I like the quote that Paul puts at the bottom. Encourage one another and build up one another as you see the day approaching and all as you, as you are doing. So, let's get the gospel out. Let's make sure we're ready for Jesus' return. Let's do our part as believers to take everyone we can with us to heaven and to prepare for the Bema Seat. We're going to meet our Savior soon, in his timing, soon in whatever his schedule is. But let's take as many people with us as we can so they don't have to go through all of this horrible stuff. Right? Let's have a word of prayer and 